Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. Emily O'Neill, welcome to the Greener Way. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what makes you tick when it comes to better futures, sustainability, and ESG and investing? Hi, Rachel. Awesome to be here as usual and a big fan of you and your podcast. So very flattered to be here today and talking about what my favorite topic is ESG investing. It's what I live and breathe every day and I'm truly passionate about being able to generate strong and consistent returns while also being able to generate what we call a better future. So it really is what I truly do believe in. So hopefully I can touch on a few of those principles and have an interesting conversation today. Um, my, uh, my employment background is really in equity research in large cap financial companies. So I was an investment bank and, and that really gave me some great foundational elements for how to understand a company's valuation, financial analysis, modeling, um, report writing. And obviously it's one of Australia's biggest sectors, the financial sector and particularly the banks. But I was doing some a little bit of work on ESG and sustainability and I just felt really drawn to it. We had a fantastic global ESG team and I found myself reading the research. I found myself talking to our clients about it, which were large institutional investors. And I just thought it made complete sense that companies that were treating their staff well and their customers better were going to do better as a business. Um, that makes sense to me. But also personally, I felt quite strongly about the environment and other social issues. So I was able to go ahead and write the first ESG report for Australia in the bank sector at this, at this company. And that was based on the ESG implications of the Royal Commission. And following the success of that, I did write the first sector-wide ESG report for um, this investment bank. And I was also juggling that with my regular research responsibilities in financials. So when Perennial, I guess, came and, and saw the work that I was doing and asked me to, to jump on board to help them with their ESG and sustainability, I was really excited and, and I started straight away. And I had already known the research products, uh, the product that we 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 provide here. So it's our dedicated small and mid-cap ESG funds called the Perennial Better Future Trust, which is also listed as an active ETF on the stock exchange under the code IMPQ. Um, so I knew I knew the product really well. I thought it was really unique in the market. And I also really wanted to help a business develop their ESG and sustainability. And since I started, we've been able to achieve the Responsible Investment Association Australasia leadership. We were recognized as a leader for the last three years in a row. So 2020, 2021, and 2022. And this year they additionally identified Perennial as a top responsible investment leader. So top 10 out of all of the asset owners and asset managers out there. So we were really happy about that. And we've grown to 250 million. So we've been really excited to go on that journey. And as I mentioned, sustainable investing to me really makes so much sense. I think there's a massive opportunity for businesses that are helping to drive positive social and environmental change. And these are going to experience investment tailwinds. So a decarbonized economy, there's not one business or government out there in the world that's not trying to decarbonize. And so if we can focus on investing around that trend, then we think we're really well positioned to generate strong and consistent returns for our investors. So as co-head of ESG at Perennial Better Futures Trust, um, we were talking that you've been noticing this uptick in the amount of ESG messaging from listed companies, uh, but how's the quality and how is it helping you and your colleagues to make better investment decisions? 
It's a great question because I think, as I mentioned, there's not one company that isn't thinking about decarbonisation. The same thing for ESG investing and we're seeing more and more marketing out there on a company's sustainability credentials. Uh, And that has been driven by a few factors. I guess the first is that there's more dedicated sustainability funds out there. So they're competing for Mm -hmm. that capital. Um, You know, also we, in our listed company survey, which we do annually, where we ask ASX listed corporates about their views on sustainability and ESG, we found that 81% of those that were surveyed have a business strategy that specifically references sustainability and ESG. And this has actually increased from 67% in our 2019 survey. So I think that just demonstrates how much it's gained traction to start thinking about a company's sustainability strategy. We've also seen notable improvements in the quality of sustainable information from smaller companies, which is where we focus our efforts. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, smaller companies don't have those large dedicated sustainability teams that you find in some of those larger companies. And so when you think about scoring ESG for smaller companies, they tend to lag the larger companies that are out there. So that's a little bit of an issue when it comes to sustainability scoring. Um, So what we need to do is to look through that and look through what is the business purpose of the organization, how engaged is management on addressing ESG and sustainability risks in their business, and that allows us to really understand the authenticity of an organization's ESG strategy. But we do have still a long way to go here in Australia. We lag some of the global leaders in in sustainable investing and um, sustainability. So I guess you know, even in just the last two, uh, sorry, the last reporting season that we had in August, I had two companies and they're kind of small to mid cap. They're not, they're not really small. They're decent sized businesses tell me that we were the first people to ask them about ESG and sustainability. So that just shows to you that, you know, we still do have a long way to go. It's, you know, people may be saying that they're doing a lot, but really when you look under the hood, you need to make sure the quality is there. So I guess greenwashing risk, you kind of touch on and it's massive. Is the company doing Mm. what it's saying it's doing? How authentic is their approach? Are they just talking about ESG to please investors without it actually being core to the organization? But this is our job as fund managers, active fund managers. Mm. So we need to scrutinize and ask questions, monitor progress and hold companies to account for various ESG issues which recently for us has included improving gender diversity on boards and executive teams and our most recent focus in line management roles, which is positions that have P&L responsibility or profit and loss responsibility and have the potential to transition to a CEO role. So what we find is that typically when you do have female executives in a business, they may be in typical gender stereotypical roles, which don't have profit and loss responsibility. So positions like, um, and they're all important positions, but they're just not positions mm. that typically transfer into a um, very senior role. So whether that's HR, whether that's operations, uh, legal, law. So that's where we kind of see the female executives. Mm. And I really focused on making mm. sure we have representation from all different areas of the business. And mm. Doing this and engaging with companies on this issue, we've actually been able to have positive change and a number of our businesses are making great appointments, female appointments to their board of directors and to their executive teams. And we think that's going to really have a positive outcome for that business. And 181 out of ASX 300 companies now has reached 30% women on boards, which is really positive. But of course, we still have a long way to go and that's the role that we can play as active managers. 
I mean, let's be honest, this is one of the things that I've been sort of scratching my head over. Um, one of the benefits of being in sustainability is a tremendous gender diversity uh, that we see both on the investment management side and in corporates. But there's always that suspicion in the back of my mind, right? You know, is when is a chief sustainability officer going to transition to becoming CFO or managing director? And it's just another pink ghetto. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, it is It is an industry that typically attracts females, which is, which is great. And it's actually allowed mm-hmm. females to take quite senior positions in organizations where they may have not been able to. And hopefully that just continues to drive the momentum forward. Oh, look, I mean, it's a, for a certain extent, it's a fairly new executive appointment for many companies. So we're probably a couple of years off of that maturation, but it's something I know I'll be keeping my eye on and I'm sure you will be as as well. Absolutely. Listen, we've touched on decarbonization so far in this interview, and clearly this is going to be a thematic that's going to drive us for the next 30 years, um, you know, long-term as well as short-term crises like the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, But what about the social and the governance side as well? Let's not neglect that. Um, You've touched on diversity and inclusion as one of those issues, but are there other S&G issues um, that you're keeping an eye on and that you think are particularly important? Yeah, this is a really critical question and something that we all need to keep on top of and and have a view on. But there has been so much discussion at both the national level and investment level on climate change and alignment with the Paris Agreement. And I think that that really gained momentum in Australia, at least at the end of 2019, when we had those terrible bushfires. Mm. And that kind of, I guess, created a call to action for the public, for us, for governments that we need to actually make change if we want to avoid these disasters in the future. Then, of course, we had the COP26 conference and a new Australian federal government, and that's really driven the focus on the E part of ESG and the environment. So, you know, we've seen actions like AGL closing their coal-fired power station early. Qantas has committed to making a $200 million investment in what we call SAF or Sustainable Aviation Fuel, and 67% of the ASX 100 is now targeting net zero. Mm -hmm. But in saying all of this, I think it's really important that investors don't lose sight of the social and governance elements of ESG. Yes, environment is important and it's taken a lot of the headlines recently. But I do think that ESG and sustainability should be looked at from a holistic perspective and we shouldn't be sacrificing social issues when pursuing an environmental agenda. So, you know, we've gone through a period where different ESG topics have been topical over time. It wasn't that long ago Mm. that First Nations heritage issues were taking the headlines, modern slavery concerns. We've even had recently cybersecurity pop up a lot more as a thematic. And we need to make sure that a company is managing all of those ESG risks and opportunities. And that requires not losing focus on sustainability as a whole. So, for example, focusing on environmental issues in a mining or oil and gas company only could put you at risk of ignoring worker exploitation or not protecting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultural significant land. So, of course, like some topics are more relevant to certain sectors or certain companies specifically, and you should be taking that materiality into your analysis. Um, But it really needs to be looked at across all of the elements because you do you know, put yourself at risk of increasing ESG issues in other parts of the business. And as you are very familiar with this survey, Rachel, um, but in our annual listed company survey, which I mentioned before, we found that greenhouse gas emissions and the Paris Agreement was the top issue for corporates in both 2020 Mm -hmm. and 2021, 
but it was followed closely by diversity, modern slavery and cybersecurity and safety and governance. So we're about to run it for the fourth fourth year and it does mm-hmm. really form an important part of our engagement efforts by kind of understanding where corporates are focused on and trying to make sure they don't lose sight of the other issues that could be emerging that's just not getting asked about at this point of time. Mm. I, uh, you, uh, you name check the annual survey and it's truly something I look forward to reporting on Emily, because, um, again, that deep dive into the smaller end of the, of the listed market is so important. Um, I think through the years, we've talked about how you're seeing even more participation year on year as well. Are you finding that that's going to be the case for 2022? Um, is there a greater appetite at that smaller end of the market? I really hope so. And I think that, you know, more and more companies, down the market cap spectrum are understanding that they need to participate in the ESG side of the market to get attention. And so I'm really Mm. expecting that we'll have good participation and hopefully good findings this year. It should be an interesting time as management are dealing with not just ESG issues and change, but a whole raft of issues in, in the economic environment, whether that's inflation, rate rises, cost of electricity. Um, You know, we've seen labor shortages, we've seen supply chain disruptions, we've seen longer sales cycles. So all the indications so far tell me that companies are still not giving up on ESG and sustainability and it still remains a key consideration. So I'm really hoping that that translates through to our survey this year. It's, it's, uh, I often joke that ESGs become the ultimate yes and as opposed to an either or for companies these days, which is uh, pleasing, but also sort of indicative of the challenges around. Um, probing a little bit further into some of the engagements you have with these, with smaller companies, Emily, um, to what extent are companies hampered by, you know, obviously you've, you've, you've talked about scarce resources, not having the teams of people that, you know, sort of the big end of town would have. Lack of sort of frameworks, you know, standardized reporting, things that can make life a little bit easier for a smaller team. Um, Are there any indications from companies that, you know, a development like the International Sustainability Standards Board, you know, sort of accounting standards would make life easier in future? Or is that not even uh, on front of mind for a lot of companies yet? I think it is. And I think it's really confusing that there is no standardized way to report. And we often Mm. get told, look, there's all of these things we could report. We're getting asked to complete all these surveys. Which ones are the most important to do? Because we have finite resources. We can't do everything. And so I do think a global standard reporting framework will be a really important step towards comparability for sustainability information because there's no one set way to report, for example, greenhouse gas emissions. Is it scope one, scope two, and scope three? Is it emissions intensity? If it is intensity, intensity, is it based on market cap or sales? What if the business has Mm -hmm. no sales? And all of these challenges have been what we've been working with smaller companies on how they should be reporting and thinking about reporting. And there are a few really great frameworks out there. They're just not widely adopted by everyone. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have been following the development of the International um, Sustainability Standards Board really closely and trying to understand what that could mean for our companies to preempt and get them to prepared for anything that may, may come in. But I do think as investors, it's going to provide an amazing amount of data that may, we maybe have not had access to before. Turning to a slightly different topic and maybe one to sort of end this discussion on, Emily, um, you said at the top of the interview that you've been recognized by RIA as a leader in the ESG space for three years in a row. Um, but what is that? Obviously, that you know, you've talked you know, really in depth about what that means as an investor into the market. But what does that mean in terms of what you do internally within your business operations and, and sort of what role do you play within the business? 
I think it's so important to be able to practice what you preach. And I would feel like a bit of a cop out if I was asking companies to do all of these sustainability things and we're not considering it in our own business. So I feel quite passionate about this, but it's not just me for my own peace of mind. I think it's also what our clients are increasingly wanting to see. And this is especially driven by what we call asset owners. So for example, super funds, and they really Mm -hmm. want to make sure that your ESG investment principles are applying to your own business. So it's well and good to be asking companies to look at their gender diversity if we don't even have the policies in place to support gender diversity in our investment teams. And so we are working on it. There are a lot of industry challenges, but it also makes us relatable to the smaller companies saying, hey, we know this is challenging. We've been able to do it ourselves and this is how we've done it. Um, Greenhouse Mm -hmm. gas emissions is a great great example of that where we actually have gone through the process ourselves. We're a certified carbon neutral organization. We offset our unavoidable greenhouse gas emissions and we've implemented a number of things in our organization to help reduce our emissions. So I can say, look, this is how we did it. This is who we recommend you use if you would like. And these are the steps you can take because that's really powerful engagement as as an investor. And as you mentioned, thank you that we are a top 10 responsible investment leader in Australia. And that is out of all funds managers and asset owners. And that's really pleasing. And I was really proud to 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 hear that because it does recognize our commitment to making improvement um, through our ESG integration, but also in our organization. Um, I did touch on quickly before, but gender diversity is a known issue in funds management. And this is something that a lot of our team feels really passionately about and we've been trying to make small progress where we can. So we've taken female interns this year through a program called F3. And if you're interested, I would Mm -hmm. highly recommend that program for any school-aged or university females who are looking at funds management. I also mentor for the UNSW Alternative Investment um, Club, which is great. And we've also been working through our own internal hiring policies and um, trying to make sure that we are being equitable in that process. And as I mentioned, we're very aware of our environmental footprint at our organization and have been trying to manage our emissions and waste management um, profile. We also plant a tree for every direct client of the firm and have just released our first reconciliation action plan, which is a really important step forward for reconciliation. So I do just want to show the companies that we invest in that it is possible to be a small business and make progress on these areas. And, you know, I think that's really impactful because in our survey, again, we've talked about the survey a lot today, but in our survey, 93% of companies did say that engaging with investors on sustainability and ESG is beneficial to their business. And I truly Mm. do do believe we can add value. So um, that's why we, we do what we do. Fantastic. All right. Well, Emily, I think we'll leave it there. Um, Emily O'Neill of Perennial Partners, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Thanks, Rachel. It was awesome. Thanks for listening to the Greener Way podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allen Backus. The Greener Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. 
It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.